0: Hi, this is Justin. Today on Theocast, we will be discussing preaching about the gospel. It's been an observation that John and I have made many times that you will hear guys talk a lot about preaching the gospel, and they will describe the gospel and give the facts of the gospel, but then yet will never actually offer the sinner Christ, and will never actually preach the grace of God in Christ by which sinners are saved. So There's a lot of talking about the gospel, but not a lot of preaching the gospel legitimately. We're going to consider that. and Then in the members' podcast, we talk about preaching sin and obedience in light of the gospel, and we also talk about Christ-centered preaching, what it is and what it isn't. We hope this conversation is encouraging to you. Stay tuned.
1: Hey, guys. As a quick reminder, if you'd like to join Theocast and helping other people find rest in Christ, a simple way of doing that is simply by leaving us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can also leave reviews on all of our books. They're available at Amazon.com. And if you haven't started following us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook yet, that's a great way to take our content and then share it with your friends and family. To learn more about how to support Theocast, simply visit Theocast.org.
0: Welcome to Theocast, encouraging weary pilgrims to rest in Christ, conversations about the Christian life from a Reformed perspective. Our hosts today are John Moffat, pastor of Grace Reformed Church in Spring Hill, Tennessee, and myself, Justin Perdue, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church in Asheville, North Carolina. John, we sit here today in the aftermath of a strange weekend for all of us. We're all adjusting to the new normal of the coronavirus, COVID-19. How are you doing, man? How's your family? How's your church? How are you processing everything that, that we're all just kind of scrambling to, to wrap our minds around?
1: Yeah, it is definitely a strange time. The, uh, the, one of the sides of being a pastor, and I think it's, it's hard for some pastors to, to, to wade through this well, we have to stay out of politics. It's really not our position to...
0: Very true. There's, there's
1: very, there's very few people in the world that have to do this, and I think one of them is we we as pastors have to shepherd our flock and not get caught up in manipulating them one way or the other. Now we can have our opinions, that's right, but it's really not our place to shepherd our church towards one political view or or another. That doesn't mean I can't hold up moral issues. In other words, I can say. Homosexuality, I think, is against the Bible, abortion is against the Bible, things like right. that that's right. not what I'm saying, but I also don't believe that that becomes your agenda from the pulpit when it comes to this, I've received a lot of text and phone calls, and I'm sure I know you have as well from our own church, and then just other pastors from around the world have contacted me
0: right.
1: and asked what what I'm going to do and what are my thoughts and I you know I do hold a, a Romans perspective here where the government is to whom I'm to submit to, and this is not a and by religious that you mean issue. Romans thirteen, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. This is not this is not a religious persecution. We are talking about love of neighbor. You and I had this conversation. It's it's really the love of each other and love of neighbor, and the 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 government I believe is not perfect. Uh, they will make mistakes because everyone in leadership makes mistakes, especially in moments of panic and stress, you know, so have sure. they made the best decision? Well, according to the news outlets, there's some who think they need to do more. There's some who think they need to do less and right. I'm, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to try and do my best to obey what they have given us and make sure that our congregants are safe and that we take care of them. So yeah. And I, yeah, and right. I know that you and I hold that, that same perspective. So there's, you know, mm-hmm. there's some ways that we're even going to try and help Theocast listeners. Uh, we know there's going to be a lot more time at home. And so there are some more resources that we are going to try and make available. And there might even be some stuff that we do on Facebook. So by the time this podcast comes out, it'll be, you know, two weeks from what's today. Today's the 17th. So it'll be a couple of weeks yeah, from this, now, but
0: this will be coming out in April sometime. Yeah. I, yeah. I think, i 'm um, with you on on everything that you said i I as a pastor, take great pains to not share my political views because you 're a human being i 'm a human being we 're both citizens of this country. You and I would have thoughts and and views on on various things when it comes to you know social issues and when it comes to political considerations and the like but i I keep those very close to the vest intentionally yeah and i I'm, the way that I often say it, and, and i don 't even mean to come across as being really punchy about this, but my main objective when it comes to political stuff is to blow up utopian notions that are red and blue, and to help people understand you know that we yes, we need to be responsible, we need to be citizens of this land, we need to vote according to our conscience, you know and we we hope that our conscience is well trained and at the same time Christians will disagree on public policy and that's okay like we can exist in the same church together yeah. and and have sincere disagreements about how to implement things from a public policy perspective and so i do think it's important for pastors to avoid making very politicized statements even about something like this with respect to how the covid-19 coronavirus stuff is being handled politically there there are a lot of really smart and educated people working on this. there's a lot more going on from a public policy perspective than any of us are privy to or aware of, and so we need to be thoughtful and mindful about all that stuff and I agree with you completely, John, that the government has been ordained by God to exercise certain functions and to use its authority well for the citizens of of the land and you're exactly right that this is not religious persecution. It would be one thing if the government right now was saying... Well, you know, all public gatherings that are large can take place except for churches. Well, churches should not gather, but every other large gathering can continue. Sporting events and clubs and, and shows and theaters and all these things can go on, but we're going to ask the churches to refrain from meeting. That would be a little bit different. But the government has has placed broad sweeping uh, recommendations and, and regulations and stuff, and I know we'll talk more about some of this. I want to read one brief quote. I wasn't even planning to until you said something that prompted me to think of it. So there is a Presbyterian pastor in the early part of the 20th century named Francis Grimke who lived in Washington, D.C., and he was pastoring during the Spanish flu pandemic of 1918, and he wrote this because in his day, like ours, the government had asked large gatherings to stop for a season. He said this, quote, the fact that the churches were places of religious gathering and the others not, the others being theaters and the like, would not affect in the least the health question involved. If avoiding crowds lessens the danger of being infected, it was wise to take the precaution and not needlessly run into danger and expect God to protect us." Close quote. I thought that was very applicable to our situation. I even shared those yeah. words with our people uh, via live stream on Sunday. So pray for your pastors, man. Uh, during this season, um, we're all trying to lead our churches well and try to think about ways to care for our people in an unusual and exceptional time. And uh, John, I know you and I spent probably 20 minutes before we hit the record button talking about some of that. So there that was for free. We have something else that we want to talk about today. And this has been sort of stirred up in us and particularly, I think, in you, John, just by some some things that you've heard recently and, and some some videos that you've watched, and we're not going to get into the specifics of the context, but tell us tell us a little bit about what, uh, tell the people, I should say, a little bit about what you and I are going to talk about for the next 30, 45 minutes or so.
1: One of the thoughts I've been having, and this is a conversation that I just recently had with Justin, and it's been a struggle of mine. And when we talk about the gospel, this is what we're going to be speaking about. The title of it is preaching about to the gospel versus preaching the actual gospel. This is seen not in just one, you know, the fundamentalist Baptist world, which I grew up in, and we, we preached a lot about the gospel, but we never really got, we kind of assumed it, or it was that last thing that we gave, the, you know, the five points at the end, boom, 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 now come forward. And then, But this can be seen in broader evangelicalism and even in, unfortunately, Calvinistic, even Reformed churches, where they will say, we need to preach the gospel. We need to be standing firm on the gospel. And then you have the whole gospel-centered movement, right? The gospel-centered parenting, gospel-centered uh, career. I mean, we could just add them all in there. And even in there, the gospel becomes something you do or, or even a verb. It becomes a point of action where gospeling, and not a truth that is to be, to believe. It's not good news. So today's podcast is understanding the difference between preaching about the gospel, which happens a lot, and actually preaching the gospel. There are many people who will say, "Yeah, I go to a church that preaches the gospel because they hear the word from the pulpit." Gospel. They hear the word, but to say the word does not mean you actually gave the truth that is centered in that word. So what's the difference? So I'll give an example, and then Justin, I'll let you uh, uh, continue on here. If someone stands up and they say, we need to preach the gospel, and then they give the facts of Jesus's life, so his virgin birth, his life, miracles, death, resurrection, and they give you all of those facts, and then they even give you the facts of, of men, the frailty of men the depravity of man the necessity of man man can't believe uh that's all great and i would say that is a part of the gospel but if you never get to the thing that sets it apart from every other religion because right now i'll tell you this right now catholics for the most part are going to believe in the virgin birth death bread resurrection of jesus christ they're going to believe in that they're going to believe that jesus is the great high priest uh, they're also in some respects going to believe that all human beings are sinners like they, That doesn't separate you from a Roman Catholic. What separates us from anyone out there, including Mormons, Jehovah's Witness, Catholics, what makes us evangelical is that Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection is presented to humanity, to the sinner, as a free gift of grace with zero requirements, with with no actions, No, nothing on the response of the sinner other than that they receive and believe. And even the the ability to receive and believe is grace. All is grace, grace, grace. So if you preach the facts of Jesus and you never present the truth of grace, which is the final cap end of the gospel, you actually never preach the gospel. You presented truth, and there's a difference between, between presenting truth I'm presenting the gospel, and I know it feels like we're splitting hairs, but Justin, tell us why this is not splitting hairs.
0: I'm going to pick up on that word "truth" that you just threw out there, John. I have observed this many times as well over the course of a number of years, where um, guys who are preaching in local church contexts or at conferences or wherever will get up and and get very fired up about the truth you know i mean i'm talking like spit flying you know like <sighs> wiping the sweat off the the forehead you know like we need to stand for truth and preach the truth and be unashamed of the truth and say the hard thing and you and i are in complete agreement with that we do want to be very precise and and stand for the truth and at the same time there is like you just said this this component that is so often missing from this, this sort of truth proclamation, you get, you get, like you said, a lot of facts. You get a lot of dealing with the, the biblical text and, and a concern for sound exegesis, but we never actually get to what I would say, and I know you agree, is the point of the entire scripture, that Jesus Christ, the, the God man, God the Son who took on flesh, came to do for sinful man what sinful man could never do for himself. And he, he came to fulfill God's law and atone for man's sin and to accomplish everything necessary for our salvation. And then, like you already alluded to, John, nothing is left to be done other than to trust Christ, to rest in Him, to look to Him, to hope in Him, to turn. like That, that repentance piece, that metanoia, change of mind piece, is a change of mind about God and myself and about Christ and the way of salvation. And so that's incorporated in faith. But what are we doing? We're casting ourselves upon the grace of God and Jesus Christ. And so, what's missing most pointedly, I, I think, from so many sermons and, and from so many conference addresses and everything else, is the thrust of the Bible that's encapsulated so beautifully in, like Isaiah fifty-five one, where God offers, out of His own grace and mercy, He offers to sinners what we need. For free. It, it costs nothing. It's, it doesn't require anything of us. Isaiah 55:1, the Lord speaks to the prophet, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. That's the invitation. And it's all, like you said, it's all of grace. It's unmerited. You could never earn it. You could never do it. And God says, here it is in my son and it's free. Like, and it, you know, Isaiah 43, 25, he says, you know, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will remember your sins no more. Like, it's not a message of guilt. Like You and I were talking about this before we hit the record button. It's so terrible when the gospel, as it's so called, comes across as this message of guilt. And and then if I can one more thought and then I'm gonna give it back to you. Like this fires me up too. When people will talk about the total depravity of man as part of the gospel, or will talk about like the holy righteous requirements of God as part of the gospel, I'm like, look, bro, you need to be more. You're all about precision and truth. Well, you need to get it right. The gospel is not any of that. Like the message about the depravity of man is in the Bible. The message about the, the, the law I mean, is in the Bible. God is holy and righteous and requires perfection and all that. That's all there. The gospel, though, is simply the message of Jesus and what he has done in the place of sinners that is to be trusted. And when we trust him, all is well. We have peace with God and we have been reconciled to him. So don't call the law gospel. Don't call depravity the gospel. Don't call all of these things the gospel. The gospel is Christ crucified for sinners, fulfilling the law for sinners, taking his life up again, and securing the resurrection of sinners, all by faith grounded in the grace of God.
1: That's right. It can't be good news if you do not add to the truth and the facts of Jesus' life that this is given to you as a gift from the Father by grace, meaning that it is unmerited favor. Exactly. The good news of the gospel is mercy. You don't receive what you deserve and grace. You're receiving what you don't deserve. That is the gospel. Amen, you don't So when someone preaches 45 minutes about the gospel or even on the gospel, they preach the gospel. And they do not emphasize the point that they do not drive home, the point that they do not try to clarify for the heart with the most confusing part of the gospel. Religions have been confusing grace for thousands of years now. This is why we differ with Rome, because Rome does not believe in grace, not fully. Now, let me clarify this. Rome does believe in right. grace. They absolutely do. And so, so you ever say, well, Roman Catholics don't believe in grace. No, that they, they do. They do. They just don't believe it's enough. <laughs> There's Well, and they they're, believe they're that we have to left.
0: cooperate. They believe that we have to cooperate with the grace of God in order right. to be saved. Right. So let me give you some
1: examples of this. When someone is preaching about the gospel, and you get done hearing the gospel, and you feel guilty or dirty or ashamed, or you have no assurance, if someone finishes preaching the gospel and you lack assurance. I, I actually wonder if they actually preached the gospel to you. Because yep. the kindness of God is meant to lead us to repentance. The glory of Christ is supposed to draw us more into his love, not push us away. Yep. It's, it's supposed to remove all fear and doubt, not create fear and doubt. And a lot of preaching today, even the guys mm. who are Calvinistic and Reformed, they will preach the gospel. And at the end of it, I feel dirty because I have not lived up Gosh. to whatever standard, because what they actually are co- collapsing, and we say this all the time, what they're collapsing is the imp- implications of the gospel, Yep. what happens after one is transformed with the actual gospel. And one cannot be said without the other, and you cannot collapse those. What happens to the transformed life is not good news that's yeah. the implication of it. That's what ends up happening, right? So for instance, um, you, what happens if you, drop, if you jump into a pool, what ends up happening to your body? You become very lightweight, right? You, you come to float. So part of being wet inside of a pool is the weightlessness of, but if you're wet, does that mean you're always weightless? If I get wet, does that mean I'm weightless? Of course not. (laughs) Of course not. So, but this is what we end up doing: is we automatically put two and two together. We automatically say one equals one equals one plus one equals two. So we think the implications of the gospel mean it's the gospel, and then we collapse them and say, if you aren't floating, then you are not saved. And I have to say, listen, you—the moment you begin to talk about repentance you start talking about obedience as part of one-to-one gospel, that is not good news. That is an implication of the gospel. So I know, Justin, you probably have a lot you want to say there, but the rest of this, I know this is probably confusing to some of you, and you're like, well, what do you mean it's not the gospel? This is what the point of this podcast is, clarifying what is the gospel and what is not the gospel. We are excited to announce that we have a new free ebook available at our website called Faith versus Faithfulness, a primer on rest. And we the host put this together to explain the difference between emphasizing one's faith in Christ versus emphasizing one's faithfulness to Christ, and how one leads to rest and how the other often to a lack of assurance. And you can get this at theocast.org slash primer. And if you've been encouraged by what you've been hearing at Theocast, We'd ask you to help partner with us. You can do that by joining our Total Access membership. That's our monthly membership that gives you access to all of our material that we've produced over the last four years, or simply by donating to our ministry. You can do that by going to our website, theocast.org. We hope that you enjoy the rest of the conversation.
0: A few thoughts. The first, just to put a bow on what we were talking about earlier. To reiterate the facts of Jesus' life, even His life, death, and resurrection, to just state those things is not to herald the gospel until one has heralded the grace of God and the mercy of God in Jesus Christ and invited the poor, sin-sick, wretched sinner to trust in Christ and to, without payment for absolutely free, to be justified and to be promised salvation forever with God. Like that's not that's not gospel preaching until you've done that. But then I want to jump on what you just said and this is something I could talk for an hour about it and I won't to spare everybody the implications as you just said the implications of the gospel are not the gospel. And this is so man it's it's this stuff is butchered in in so many environments many of which are calvinistic where uh, you get guys talking about the demands of the gospel for example mm, wow and you you hear this language you yeah. know the demands of the gospel uh, what jesus demands of the world or what jesus requires etc and immediately i want to jump in and just start jump up and down and start screaming and be like hey um The gospel is a message about what Christ has done, not about what we must do. And last time I checked, like even if we want to use that language of demand, there is one, maybe one demand of the gospel. And what is that? Believe it. That's it. Like (laughs) full stop. You want a demand of the gospel, believe. Trust Christ. But even that, but even that, according to Ephesians 2, is a gift. No, it's a gift. I I mean, no argument, John, on that but it, but it, yeah. we can't you know this this whole like the demands of the gospel there's one believe in Jesus and you can't do that on your own god must grant that he must give you the gift of faith you know and and all those things and and even when it comes to repentance i've already sort of alluded to this so i just want to be really clear that faith incorporates repentance i mean there is no they go together and god gives both i mean it it's yeah, quite obvious you know that the change of mind that happens comes from the Lord, not from us. And when we're looking to Christ, we are necessarily you know, looking away from our own goodness and our own merit, and we're, we're trusting in Jesus. And so that's something that's going to continue to go on in our lives, and God is the one who repents us. God is the one who grants faith. And, and so, yeah, I I see this to be a problem, as you do too, where... The, the entailments of the gospel and the demands and the implications and all of this are preached as part and parcel of the good news. And as soon as we start to include in our gospel presentation transformation of life in any way, we, we have lost the, the good news of, of the gospel. And so and we have now, in, inevitably and inherently, we are now pointing sinners to look to the transformation of their own lives for the ground of their confidence before God. And we can't, we can't do that. I mean, so like when we talk right. about good works, when we talk about good works or obedience or anything, um, or we talk about these implications of the gospel, the entailments of it, of course, like the question, we want to be really clear. The question is not, are we to do good works in Christ? Of course we are. The question is not, are we to pursue obedience in Christ? Of course we are. The, the question is not whether. The question is why. Why do we do good works? Why do we pursue obedience? And that's where this thing goes off the rails, because so often the why is, is misunderstood and it's misrepresented and it's poorly taught, which results in bondage and not freedom. And it results in a bunch of dread and guilt, not delight and joy. There's no peace. We're always chasing after something that we can never quite attain. And like you said, John, if you come away from a sermon, from a message, and your initial takeaway is guilt and condemnation, and I'm not good enough, and I, there is no way that I'm going to make it to heaven, and Jesus is going to tell me to depart from him. If that's your takeaway, friend, I don't think you've heard the gospel. No. No. Because the reaction to the gospel is, this is unbelievable. Like This is scandal that you're telling me that I am, I am as wretched as I am, and that I've broken all of God's commandments, and I've never really kept any of them, and I still struggle with my own corruption, yet God has counted to me, because of His grace, by faith in His Son, the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Jesus. That's mine. You're telling me that? And you're telling me that God has blotted out my sin and He'll remember it no more, and looks at me and says, "Righteous." You're telling me that—that that is scandalous mercy. That's the reaction, right. you know, it's that right. we that we yeah. have. And it, yeah, anyway, I, I could go on, dude. I want to throw it back over to yeah. you. No, um, I, yeah.
1: No, I here's here's an example when se- if someone comes, you know, I'm still thinking of the virus, and there's going to be people who get to a place where they have nothing, and if someone walks up and says, "I have nothing." I need, like, I cannot live on my own. I have nothing to survive unless someone gives me something. And I come, I go inside my house and I walk back out. I said, I have great news for you. Great news. I have an entire house full of water and food and shelter. And it is yours as long as you can pay some monthly rent. That's not good news. Not to the person who has nothing.
0: I was going to say, not if you don't have any money.
1: (laughs) That's right. It's not good news. Now, they might think, well, thanks for offering how much money? Because I have nothing. And I can't even go into debt because I'm already in debt. I'm in so much debt, I can't get out of the debt. And that's why when someone hears the gospel and they hear it's all yours, you can have all of it. And Here's the difference. The father walks out of the house and says, well, not only am I going to give this to you, but I'm going to make you a part of my family so that you forever will never run out, and you will be owned by me, which means you get all of my name, and with my name comes my reputation, and with my reputation comes all that exists that's within me. That Now, that's good news. He not only just Amen. gifts you what you need— He takes you in, and he transforms you, and he creates within you a family, or he he brings you into his family. And yes, absolutely, not only do you receive mercy and you receive grace, but you are then receiving a wonderful gift called the transformation of life. The transformation of life is a wonderful gift, but it is not the message of the gospel, it is an implication of the gospel. That's right. Because well, what ends up happening an, is yeah, right. It's a result yeah. of what you are. The danger is someone will say, unless you are transforming your life, you are not in the gospel. And that's a byproduct. That is a byproduct. <laughs> you know, that that's what's so it's almost like yelling at somebody unless you're driving unless you are moving 65 miles an hour, you cannot be a Christian because you're not in the car and I'm like you have to be in the car in order to be moving 65 miles an hour. Well, and we're all we're telling people right. you must you must be doing that and if you're not doing that there's something wrong and I'm like look that's cart before the horse here. Cart before the
0: horse. Of course. Well, and just just like we can't believe in Jesus <laughs> and trust him apart from God giving us that faith because of like out of his grace. The same is true when it comes to the transformation of life. You will never do that apart from God's grace. It, can't, it cannot happen. You can't change right. your own heart. You can't transform your own life. Like you said, it is an outflow of, of the good news, and God is the one who does it. He is right. the one who changes you. And so when we start telling people, it's, it, we absolutely lose our minds. I mean, we, we start to tell people, you know, believe in Jesus, which we should. We should call men to believe, and then, of course, we want to preach uh, of about how we are to live. There are plenty of words in the Bible about how we live together, especially in the context, the corporate context of the church, and how we love each other and the like. But to to preach that to men as though they can do it is absolutely deluded. And yeah, there, there's a few others. I want to go a different couple couple of different ways. I've got a bunch of thoughts, man. I have got a few things jotted down on my. My handy-dandy whiteboard here. Just thinking about the <laughs> the scandal of the gospel. I had a conversation last week with a woman at the the CrossFit box, and she she knows I'm a pastor, and um, everybody does there knows I'm a pastor. And so she comes up to me before class. We're all there a few minutes early, just kind of loosening up and everything. And she goes, "I have a philosophical question for you." I said, "Sure, happy to." Happy to try to answer it. And she starts to talk to me about she she goes to a, a church in the area, at least has been checking it out a little bit and had questions just about the, the nature of the gospel. And she's like, right. if like, help me to understand this. Like, if if we were even to to murder somebody and and we are we are believing in Jesus, like we we're still saved. And, and, like, basically, you know, like, if we were to do something really terrible, like, are we lost? And, and I said to her, I said, so you, we, where, where we have to start is to understand that there is no net, like, there is no amount of sinning. There is no degree of, like, heinousness of a particular sin. There is no duration of a person remaining in sin that necessarily means that they're not a Christian. Like Christians struggle mightily with, with their own corruption and do extraordinarily evil things at points, because here's the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is that Jesus is our righteousness, and that Jesus has atoned for our sin, and that we are looking away from ourselves and to Him completely for our, the ground of our confidence before the Lord and for our standing before God. And so we can do all kinds of terrible things, and yet you know, God keeps us looking to Christ, and we are safe. You know, and, she's, and so we're talking about all that, like, well, how could that be? How could that be you know, that Jesus has done all this stuff? And so we, we started to talk a little bit about the fall of man and Adam and how everything that we lost in Adam, we have in Jesus by faith, that he came to succeed every way that Adam failed. And so by trusting in Christ, we are now in Jesus and we are, you know, we're taking shelter in Christ and he is our representative. And his perfect record is counted to us. We had this conversation over the course of five minutes before a CrossFit workout. And she just looks at me at the end of it. And she's just like, you know, I've never thought about any of that. And Mm. this this is amazing. This is amazing. And it's like, yes, it is. It is absolutely incredible that we are in Christ Jesus and his record is counted to us. And he protects us and shields us from the righteous anger and wrath of God that our sin deserves. And he took it. And it's over, right. and we're safe. It's like, man, that's it's scandalous mercy. And I can't help but think about. We talk about the prodigal son so often, Luke fifteen, yeah. with good reason, because that that's another text that's so often misrepresented. And the thing that I I wanted to bring up today, which has been mentioned on TheoCast before, certainly, if you think about the the prodigal when he goes off and he squanders his inheritance on you know foolish living and he's finally brought to a place where he's eating the food that he's feeding to pigs and there's all kinds of figurative stuff going on there for us to to see man this is like a horrible situation he you know quote unquote kind of comes to his senses and he starts to think i'm going to go back to my father's house and here's my pitch i am going to do, to offer myself to my father as a servant i'm going to tell him look i've i've done all these things i'm wrong you know i i don't deserve anything from you here's how i'm going to work and i'm going to do what's required so that i can just be a part of your house again. and what happens when he goes he doesn't even get to that point. the father runs to him and the father says put put my robes on him. clothe him in my garments. put my ring on his hand. and you know, put shoes on his feet and let's celebrate because my my child is home. and and so we always have these notions that we're going to okay if i just go back like if i repent and if i go back to god and i do my penance you know, and I do what's necessary, you know, to appease God, he'll be happy to have me as a part of his family again. Whereas he, he, he won't even hear that nonsense. He comes out and he's like, look, there's nothing that you could ever do. You know, you're here. By my grace, you're here. I've got, I've got robes of righteousness for you, you know, and I've got, I've got mercy for you. And I want to celebrate with you and rejoice over you because my child who once was lost has now come home. Yeah, you know, that's the good news. Anyway, right. I've got other stuff, John, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it back over to you.
1: <laughs> well, let's take it to the, uh, the opposite side. We always use the illustration of the rich young ruler. You have Another a man, he comes and he asks Jesus a very important question. What must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? So Jesus just answers his question. What people assume, <laughs> what people assume. JP's getting excited over here. What people assume, little, yeah, yeah, man. That's why you got to watch it on YouTube. What people assume is that Jesus gives him good news.
0: Oh, right? John, let him know he
1: gives him good news. He tells him, "Oh, the good news is, be perfect, keep mm. the law." And the young mm. man says, "Well, I've done that from my youth," which. I would love to know what the thought of Jesus at that moment was. Of course, the the disciples don't know other than what Jesus just says. And he says, well, then go sell everything that you have and come follow me. What Jesus was exposing was that this man's heart was full of covetousness. He did not want to give up. So he wasn't sinless. Jesus it, it's, unfortunately, people, they, they spin this and say, well, unless you forsake everything and follow Jesus, you cannot be saved. No, Jesus was saying, you think you're holding to the whole law. You're not. You have failed.
0: Yeah, yeah he, he turns the temperature up, right? He dumps the That's full right. weight of the law on that man's conscience. And the young man goes away dejected because he can't do what Jesus has asked him to do, which is the point. He, he couldn't. And the disciples even are like, okay, Jesus, who's, who can be saved? They're despairing. Who can be saved? And what does he say? Well, with man, it's impossible, but, but, but with God, it's possible. It's like, That's right. To, you're right, brother. How many times have we all heard the rich young ruler preached and the, the gospel is presented as surrender all for Jesus? That's right. And it's like, look. You know, just like we've talked about before uh, about affections and feelings, when the gospel is presented as, you, know, you need to desire and treasure Christ above all things. Um, those To desire and treasure Christ above all things and to surrender all for Jesus are things that I want to do in my inner man and I never do perfectly. And so if, if that's the good news, then the good news is not so good. It's a law yeah. that condemns me because I could never meet the standard. It, the good news of you're exactly surrendering
1: right. all. The good news of surrendering all is surrender all your self-righteousness. So if you want to say there's a surrender all, yes, absolutely. It is yes. when you hear Jesus Christ presented to you, the good news is you can give up on all requirements. You can Amen. just just hand it over. You don't need it. It's not necessary. Not only do you not need it, it's offensive if you try and bring it. Just, just it's, give
0: it away. It's like Paul in, in Philippians three. You know, in Philippians, what is he where he talks about? You know, not having a righteousness of our own. You know, That's so right. like in, in Philippians three one, he, I love this language where he says that it is. He said to write the same things to you again is no trouble for me and is safe for you. And then where does he go from there? he starts to talk about righteousness according to the law and then righteousness according to faith in Christ. I mean, so he's, That's again, right. just beating this drum. Like I was, and he's very clear. I was a rock star Pharisee. Like if we're going to talk about righteousness according to the law, <laughs> nobody had more than me. But I consider it rubbish. Like I count it as nothing. That, that, this is what you're saying. Like if you want to surrender at all, then do this. Take, follow Paul's example in this, where he says, like the righteousness that I had, which was substantial. I, I I threw it away because it was trash. It was absolutely right. worthless. Because I have now come to have a righteousness by faith in Christ, right? And it's what Jesus did for me that is my righteousness, so that I might sec- I might be resurrected. I mean, it's it's remarkable, man. That's yeah. Right. So the surrender all right. is is not like give away all your stuff. Though, I mean, there may be times where we're giving stuff away. That's fine. And we're, and we're told not to covet and be greedy and the like. Sure, you and I both agree about that. But the surrender almost fundamentally is let go of your own notions of your own goodness. You know, turn from not well, just your sin, turn from your sin, but turn from your own good works and look to Christ.
1: That's right. Well, and this even goes back to another famous passage, which is, unless you forsake mother, father, brother, sister, and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. So again, we will then say the gospel is, so it's another example, the gospel is abandoning all and following me. Mm -hmm. And you have to ask, is that really good news that Jesus is presenting? Because has anyone ever abandoned everything for the sake of God or for the sake of Jesus? Has anyone ever done that? No. You know, if, if someone tells me, you know, the greatest commandment of all, Let's just, let's just trump it all right here. The greatest commandment is all Come love on, God on. with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. Have you ever loved God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Not I will tell second. you, not for a second. And I've, I've had people argue with me on that. And I was like, listen, there's no way. Your heart is, so, is, is still left within sin. that God did not right. remove that from you yet. Right. So well, you I mean, need there's something never a moment outside of you.
0: Exactly. There's never a moment where your heart you know in the in the corruption that remains in it does not taint everything that you're doing, thinking, feeling it's always mixed. It's never parade, right.
1: yeah, that's right, so Jesus, what he's going after are people who are uh trying to to mix, I would say even law and gospel. they are trying to achieve, sure that which. If I do this, then I will be accepted by Jesus. And Jesus again, he always takes the volume level that you have it at, which is a 5, and he says, "I'm going to turn to it 10, that pierces <laughs> yeah. your ears." That's to right. say, "No, all right, you want you want to do this by the law, then here it is. Here it is by the law." Hmm. And you cannot mix, you cannot mix me with anything else. It doesn't work that yeah. way. This is why Paul writes, he says such so strong language to the Galatians says why would why would you think that you could mix back in obedience to the law with grace it's so no true. longer grace you drop one little granule of the law into the pool the ocean of grace and it's no mm. longer the gospel and you think that's, that's an extreme right. that's an extreme statement but it's not one salt granule of law mixed into the ocean of grace removes hope because well, the moment you make any requirement, it's no longer good news to the to the to the to to the person in debt. It is not good news.
0: That's right, and it's no longer grace because you have now introduced. Even if it's a twinge, it's still a twinge of merit. Right, That's right. There, there is something there that the sinner must be doing, and so now the. And even if it's just this small, if it's one percent. Well, you, we, right. have, we have now removed this from the category of grace and unmerited favor. Yes. Absolutely. So, uh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say,
1: how else can Paul say there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Because right. if there is a requirement to be met by a Christian, I promise you, you will fail that we're, requirement. Therefore, you will condemned. be under
0: condemnation. Yeah. We are all condemned if there's a requirement. And th- now some of us, you know, some of us are deluded into thinking that we're better than we are. But in our sane moments, when we are given a glimpse into our own sinfulness, we realize that, yeah, if if any of this depends on my performance or my affections or any of those things, then I am without hope and I'm going to be lost right. forever. Yeah, I, I'm thinking about Jesus and his his words in at the end of Matthew 11, which is a, the, these verses, Matthew 11, 28 to 30, in, in large part have inspired the the tagline of theocast you know encouraging weary pilgrims to rest in christ where jesus calls to himself come to me all you who are are weary burdened and heavy laden right and i will give you rest and he tells them to take his yoke upon them because his his yoke is easy and his burden is light and that language of the yoke is a reference to the law you know it's like you've been bearing this yoke of the pharisees and and all of these heavy burdens that are being placed upon you come to me because the yoke that i will put upon you is easy and the burden that i will put upon you is light if you're weary come to me it's just like the the words of isaiah 55 it's just like the language of revelation 21 come and drink of the water of life without payment that's that's the bidding of jesus come to me and and you know, we've talked about this before, John. If you're if you're listening to a sermon or you're listening to a message and man, like there is more burden being put on you, it's not the gospel. It's not Christ. If if you're listening and the weak are being pounded, it's not Jesus and it's not the gospel. If bruised reeds are being broken, it's not Jesus and it's not the gospel. If smoldering wicks are being Put out, it's not Jesus and it's not the gospel. You know. And so often I think that the messages that we hear that are claiming to be gospel centered and Christ centered end up doing those very things. Demands and burdens right. are all over the place, and doubt is introduced, insecurity is introduced, and those who are bruised reeds are being snapped in half That's right. by it. You know, and like you, you were talking, I think you gave this illustration. I don't remember if it was on the show or uh or not, or if it was like in our pre pre conference. And you were talking about a time yeah. in seminary where there was a guy who got up and in the preaching class and more or less just lambasted yeah. <laughs> everybody with law. And that's your right. professor stands up and his his first comment is, Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there <laughs> and, No balm in Gilead. And, and that's that's how I think you and I feel sometimes when we and yeah. I trust many many who are listening to the show feel this way. You you know you're hearing a message and uh and you're listening and you're like, "My goodness, is there no balm in Gilead?" You know? That's right. Where where's the balm, man? Where is right. where is Christ for me? And you know? and
1: I think in the members podcast, we need to and we will. We'll spend time talking about the difference of preaching against sin, which we just and i do i i don't mind Absolutely. and as a matter of fact i feel it's my responsibility as the preacher of of the bible to accurately preach the whole counsel of god and in doing so i will lead people to feel guilty of their sin sure and i will press down in on that you should feel guilty for the lack of love and for lust and anger and pride and all of that you should you should just feel horrible for that and then the gospel comes in and brings relief, right? That's where you repent of your sin and find joy. This is why every week we do a prayer of confession. We confess that which we feel guilty for. I feel guilty for my sin because I have violated my relationship with my father who has graciously adopted me and called me into his own and I treated it as trash. I treated it as if he could be consumed and thrown into the wastebasket. And then he says, repent of that and find joy, and that which leads us to First John to the gospel, right? Amen. We is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's grace. Amen. If you do not emphasize emphasize grace,
0: you do not emphasize the gospel. Word. So, Paul, I, I just wanted to to agree with you and add on to what you're saying about how you and I both believe in and do preach about the the horror of sin and and want to. Help our people understand as we preach the whole counsel of God how how bad our sin is and how how horrible it is for our lives. I mean, so I'm thinking about Paul's language. First Timothy one eight, he says, "Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully." And that's what you and I are after when we when we're talking about sin. Whenever we're talking about sin, we're talking we're we're speaking in categories of law, and so the three uses of the law are always in view. When I'm, when I'm preparing a sermon, and I know they are for you too, where we're, we're, first of all, preaching the horror of sin, that we all might feel guilty for it, and we all might know how condemned we are, that we might run to Christ and that we might trust Christ, say, thank God for Jesus. That, and then also, I'm, t- I'm helping people see how sin has never led anywhere good. Sin yeah. has never done anything good for them in their lives. And so, this, if you pursue this, brothers and sisters, if we pursue this, it will end up in wreckage and ruin and disaster. And if we pursue this, God has told us that it will be good for us. Like we sure. always talk in these terms. And, you know, we're also thinking in Christ Jesus, like, let us, by the Spirit, you know, by grace, we pursue obedience and conformity to God's word. <laughs> and so it's like, Lord, give me grace that I might not sin, and give me grace that I might live unto you. Give me grace that, my, that I might be conformed. Continue to work in me and conform me to the image of your Son. We're always thinking in these terms and preaching in these ways, but never do we collapse those categories to where that transformation or even sin is bad. You know, that is not the gospel. The gospel is, again, Jesus and his work in the place of the sinner. We're looking outside of us to save what's wrong in us, and we're resting in Christ. Yeah. That's the good news well, piece. We definitely well, have more to say.
1: We, we, we are do. out of time, I, my friend. And- <laughs> I know. I haven't
0: even—one thing, this may even be a whole nother show at some point. Right. One thing that I want to talk about—maybe we'll touch on this in the members area if we have time—is the guys that will champion Christ-centered preaching and never actually offer Christ to sinners.
1: Yeah. Like, well, let's do it. Let's jump into the members and, and just do it. We may need to right, do so a whole I'm gonna, podcast on that as well. We do.
0: We do. All right. So it's my job. I'm, I'm failing miserably. Uh, brothers and sisters, friends, <laughs> in trying to wrap this show up grace and get us over grace. to the members area. Thank goodness there's grace for me. So thank you for listening to this episode of Theocast. We hope that it's been of some encouragement to you as you think about the work of Christ for you and you think about the safety that is yours by faith through the grace of God in Jesus. And so we're gonna make our way, John and I are, over to the Members Podcast. And you might be listening and you're thinking, I don't even know what that is. Well, the Members Podcast is is an additional podcast that we offer to our membership every week. You can go over to theocast.org, our website, and find more information about our total access membership there. We're still offering a two-week free trial on that membership so that you can kick the tires and and see what all this additional content is and give the Members Podcast a listen for a couple of weeks and determine if you wanna become a member. So, avail yourself of that. And for our members, we will talk with you in just a moment. We're heading over there. We'll see you there.